Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're glad you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series entitled Love and Respect, Marriage Matters. Here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. I hear all the time the statistic that half of marriages in this country end in divorce, but is that actually true? Today, Chanel Jones is here with surprising new findings. Chanel, good morning to you. Good morning. It's practically become conventional wisdom, the notion that a couple getting married only has a grim 50-50 shot at making it. But some recent numbers are showing that more couples than we think are living happily ever after. Story. First comes love, then comes marriage, then for half of couples comes the divorce. But according to an article in the New York Times, that story is now fiction. It was true in the 70s, it was true in the early 80s, but it has not been true for three decades now. Turns out when couples say, I do, nowadays, they really mean it. The divorce rate is declining for each generation. For people married in the 2000s, it appears it's going to be lower than it has since um, well before the boom in divorces that we had in the 70s and 80s. Only 65% of couples who got married in the 1970s and 80s made it to their 15th anniversary. Of couples married in the 90s, 70% made it. And if the trends continue, experts predict about two-thirds of all married couples will keep their vows. One reason, gender roles just aren't what they used to be. Marriages can be about love now because women don't need men to support them. We have our own salaries, our own careers. They no longer feel like they have to have one man to validate them the rest of their lives. And with that comes the freedom to wait longer and later in life for Mr. Wright. We're getting married later. They're choosing much more carefully and they're marrying the right man. It's a modern generation of couples with a whole new set of social norms. Both of them are likely to work. Both of them are likely to do childcare and housework. And both of them can spend time sharing their passions and their shared interests. That's not what it was like before. Um, and it's creating more stable marriages. So just why has this 50% myth continued? The myth that 50% of marriages end in divorce is still around because of pop culture. You know, it's a, it's a running joke, it's a punchline. Because we hear it all the time, we assume it's true. A story debunked, giving new hope for couples looking to live the fairy tale. Another interesting finding in that New York Times article, while fewer couples are choosing to get divorced, if it does happen, two-thirds of the time, it's initiated by the woman. Oh. So guys, times are changing. Yes. Wow. Isn't I, it true that I think a lot of people staying together because it's expensive? It's expensive to get, to get, divorced. get divorced. But there's actually another piece that they found. A lot of couples are living together, yeah. so they're choosing not to get married altogether. Also, a lot of couples are saying, you know what, we're going to stay single and raise our kids. So that leaves the pool of people who decide yeah. to get married. Right. A lot of them are really doing it for love oh. and not money or anything else. Wow. Okay. So a little better news. Yes. 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 Good. Good. We're That's staying cool. with it, guys. Yes. 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 Chanel. We appreciate it. What great news. I mean, I think the church, come on. I think the church should celebrate that it blew my mind. I mean, I'm sitting there the other morning watching the Today Show, brushing my teeth, just had it on in the bedroom and heard that. And I thought, man, that is great news because we've been saying for so, so long that the divorce rate is what? 50%. And uh, the truth is that's actually not true anymore because of the fact that young people are getting married uh, later in life, do you know that most young people now get married uh, after they reach 30? To which I say, thank you, Jesus, since I have a daughter. 
Hello. Um, and uh, and they, they're, just, they're just getting, they're getting divorced less. So that's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved community of New Hope, may I introduce to you, many of you know her, but some of you do not, my wife, Amy Lynn Kelly. <laughs> For those of you who don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about her. Amy Lynn is from Tallahassee, Florida. They haven't lost a game in two years. They won again last night. She graduated from Lincoln High School, big public school in Tallahassee. Um, She wouldn't tell you this, but I will. The woman is brilliant. She graduated eighth out of a class of 600. Then she went to Florida State University and graduated magnum cum laude. She, the, she, she, uh, I met her at Duke University uh, the first day of classes. She asked me to marry her two days later. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but it, it, was, it was an incredible time meeting her, and, and here we are. Um, I want to go ahead and just kind of be clear about a few things. Number one is I'm going to try to get her to talk as much as I can today because you hear me every Sunday, and I want you to hear from her because she is a wise, wise, godly woman. Um, number two, I want you to know we have a lot of questions. You folks really submitted a lot of questions, and we're not going to be able to get to them all, but we have 32 of them. Hello. And so we are going to have to answer some of them very quickly, and some we might have to skip around, but we are, uh, we're going to kind of get going here. Hey, you guys enjoyed the series, Love and Respect? Man, it's, uh, you guys have really leaned in. Uh, before we get going, we just need you to know a couple things about us. Um, number one, this whole blue, pe- blue, pink thing is like incredibly true for us. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like, I am, I'm really blue. And I am really, really pink. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she sees the world through pink. I see the world through blue. We speak it through blue, pink. And um, you just need to know that, man, the reason we did this series is because this study has so helped and changed our marriage. Um, second thing you need to know, and we're going to get right into the questions, is this. We do not have the perfect marriage. Let my wife say amen. <laughs> so true. I mean, some of you, the way you asked the questions, it, it was as if you thought we like walked on water and we've got the perfect marriage. It's as if some of you picture me getting up in the morning and the first thing I do is I sing the Lord's Prayer over my family. And Amy Lynn comes, you know, waffling down the stairs, not even touching the stairs with, you know, hot cross buns in her hand or something, you know. And, and the children, you know, kneel down and call us blessed. Uh, You have a way of like imagining us and you just need to know we do not have the perfect marriage at all. And the root of many of our problems has come down to this blue-pink thing, which is why this series has been so good for us. We don't have the perfect marriage by far. I would dare say to you we don't have the best marriage in this room. But here's what we do have. We have grit. And we have tenacity and we have determination. And we just decided a long time ago, you know what? Divorce is not an option. And that's a winning combination. So let's get right to the questions. 
Do you believe there are seasons in marriage? Do you believe there are seasons in marriage? What do you do if you have lost that love connection with your spouse? What do you do if you've lost that love connection? I told you I'm going to try to get you to talk a lot today. Why don't you uh, jump right on in? That's right. <clears throat> we, one of the classic things that I hear is um, people, you know, whether it's ladies coming up or people asking this question, are there seasons in marriage or should it all be just great, you know, from, from day one? And it's so true. There are such seasons in marriage. I mean, I joke sometimes that it took us 10 years just to get used to living together uh, because we're so different. And, like, I came from a family of all girls. Um, very musical family. We lived on a farm. It was very, um, like the TV never came on. Um, and he came from a family of all boys that was high intensity, a more um, uh, loud environment. <laughs> and so seriously, I mean, just those two total opposites coming together, clashing quite often, figuring out how to live together. Um, yes, very definitely. There's good seasons, there's bad seasons, but that's what, um, again, it just comes back to having that um, determination that you're going to stick it out. You're yeah. really, really going to stick it out. Yeah, you know, and, and I think when the way I read this question, I think it was a, there was a genuine way in which they were asking, are there seasons to marriage? But I know that a lot of people in our culture ask that question, and what they mean by that is there a season to be married, and then you know what? We've moved out of that season. That's a season for divorce. And I know divorce is a part of our, our culture and is a part of some of your stories, and we're, you're so welcome here. And later in this talk, we're going to talk about where Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, gives an exception to divorce. Scholars call it the exception clause. But, but hear me out. It, it's a slippery slope, and it's a cultural flaw if you buy in even for a moment to the notion, well, there's a season to be married, but you know what? If you get out of that season, just throw in the towel and forget about it. That is not what followers of Christ do. Miles Monroe, Miles Monroe, y'all might know that name. He just died in a terrible plane crash um, in the islands. He and his wife, they were going to do a leadership conference. But he said this. If you haven't read his stuff on marriage, Georgia, he says, Marriage is two imperfect people committing themselves to a perfect institution by making perfect vows from imperfect lips before a perfect God. Oh, Get you that. Get, get that quote. That is a great, great quote. And the, the secret sauce to marriage is coming to terms with what this person asked. Yes, there are seasons to marriage. Are there seasons where this woman probably wanted, she would never admit this, would want to you know, take me out? Probably. Are there seasons to which we might not feel like being married Yes, but here's the secret to a successful marriage. You have to learn to love and appreciate the seasons, good and bad. Keith Wright, we buried Keith Wright this week, right here. Credible new hoper who used to lead you in worship. We read his journal, some of his journal that he left to his children. And one of the things he said in there is powerful. He was asked, what is the secret to life? Because this guy taught us how to live and he taught us how to die. And Keith said the secret to life, and I would say the secret to marriage, is learning to enjoy the seasons. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Second question. Here we go. We're going to keep it moving. I told you. Is there any benefit to actually getting married as opposed to just living together? Why not cohabitation? A piece of paper seems meaningless to us. 
I'm glad you were about to jump in because you know what I was about to say. Well, we were, when we got this question, we laughed. We said, I don't even know exactly where our piece of paper is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is so um, I, I think it's such a great opportunity to talk about the difference between a Christian marriage and just a civil union. Um, I mean, for a Christian marriage, it's not about the piece of paper. That's just something that we do um, to be legally recognized. But instead... It is a commitment, it's a promise that we hopefully have spent time preparing for, hopefully from um, a very young age, we're becoming that person that we should become, um, becoming a, f- a full person in ourselves and that we are ready and that we are making a promise, a commitment in front of God and a promise to God. It's a covenant. Yeah. And we see that covenant relationship modeled throughout Scripture the same way that there's a covenant of God with us. But it's so much more than that. And so, um, I don't know, it, it's something that I just feel like we underestimate the power of the commitment of marriage and say, oh, it's just something that you do legally. Mm. But no, it is a promise, a lifetime promise that we make to God and to each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just say this, and then we're going to move on. The the person who asked this or the people who think this, I know this is a popular trend in our culture. I would say two things. Number one is if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to constantly have to ask yourself in this culture, am I going to go the way of the culture or am I going to go the way of God's word? This is an issue of the authority of Scripture, church. Marriage was God's idea in the first place. I don't have time to do this, but though I want to, with everything happening in our culture with marriage, I think the church is going to have to continue to wrestle with what does it mean, what does it look like to live out a Christian marriage in the midst of a radical, pluralistic, liberal culture where marriage is starting to mean whatever. I could even go down the the marijuana route, legalized marijuana, okay? That's coming, by the way. It's coming, And the church is going to have to wrestle with these issues. They're big, big issues that we're going to have to wrestle with. But this is a matter of, hey, are you going to follow God's word? goes all the way back to Genesis 2 where a marriage is exactly what Amy Lynn just said. It's a what? It's a covenant. Covenant. Number three. Number three. Why don't you read this one, will you? Sure. While raising five children, working full-time as pastors in a growing growing a multi-site church, how do you manage to keep your marriage a priority? I think what we have talked about as we decide how to answer this question is that we really have narrowed our lives down to two things, uh, family and church, um, marriage, our marriage being top priority. And so sometimes we get a lot of requests from you all, you know, you'd love to take us to dinner or you'd like to do this or that. And um, much to your dismay, we say no, or it takes us <laughs> a very, very, very long time to do that. It's because at this point in time, we are investing in our marriage and investing in our kids and doing ministry. We're not doing much more than that. Like, we don't have many hobbies. Um, we don't just do, I don't do a bunch of girls' nights out. He doesn't do guys' nights out. We just take a lot of time and be very intentional in what we do. And so we do, we don't do much, but we yeah. try to do it well. Yeah, that's good. Joshua, the, the, the Bible says in Joshua, I think it's 24, 15, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We, we just have two, two focuses in life. Amen is exactly right. I, I gave up golf. Some of you guys love golf. I love golf. I miss golf terribly. I gave it up about, about when Anna Grace came along because I concluded, you know what? A, it takes me away from the family for about four to five hours. B, it's pretty expensive, Right. And I hope to play it again when the kids get older and they want to play. Benjamin and I talked about this yesterday as I was looking at my notes. My oldest boy wants to go out and play golf, so I'm going to go play with him. But we just, we just made a decision. Two things. Two things in our life. 
family, God slash church. That's our focus. And for those of you that are very practical-minded, um, we live in a great day and age of there's amazing tools and technology that helps us. I mean, seriously, several of you wanted to know exactly what we do. But, I mean, we do have the whole kind of color-coded calendar to keep up with everybody, where everybody's going, things like that. But there is a lot of amazing um, tools online or on your phones or things like that, or even just your old-fashioned day planner, um, just trying to keep everybody where they are. But use those. Um, there's a lot of great, exciting um, opportunities to really coordinate your schedule where you are <laughs> and keep that all in track. And know that even with these tools of technology, even with just a two-fold focus, our lives are crazy. I mean, like full court pressing them. We went from having one child to three because we had twins the second time. And it's just like wide open crazy. So I don't know that we would say it's you know all successful as this question asks. But here's what we do. We're just two people that we are like you know just dead focused on those two things. Here's one. As a sing no 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 number four. What do you do when you realize you and your spouse differ on theological issues? What do you do? Why don't you go first on this one? Well, first and foremost, I think um, this is probably an important part of the dating process before you get married. You should uh, figure those out before you get married. Um, And then I think you just have to realize um, there's a great quote from St. Augustine, um, and he says this, In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, there's liberty. In all things, we practice charity. So if a theological discussion is a major tension point in your household and in your marriage, um, I would just encourage you to decide, is it really worth uh, Mm. spending time arguing over it? Is it it an essential? Is Jesus Christ Son of God? Yes, Yes. that is important. If it's, I don't know, some verse in Ecclesiastes about something or another, I mean, really, is it really worth worrying about it? You know, instead, can you disagree to disagree on that? But again, that's a huge part of the dating process, and you have to make sure that you're in line theologically with those ba- those main issues. You know, are you both sold out as Christian followers of Christ? Yeah. Guys, talk about these things when you're dating. Like when we interview staff now, we get ready to hire staff. I've learned the hard way. We talk about the big social issues. We talk about the big hot-button topics I think you should do that when you're dating. Get it all out there. Figure it out. Okay. Uh, Number five. We're moving along pretty good. We're doing good. You guys enjoying this? Good, good, good. Number five. As a single woman, it is hard to date with all the sexual pressures. Most men that I have encountered are not willing to date a woman who isn't willing to have sex. What advice would you tell a single woman... Who is trying to date and have healthy and pure relationships in this world today. What would I tell you single woman? I would tell you to look at that dude and tell him don't let the door hit you in the flipping butt. My sexuality is a gift from God and I am going to save it for the man that I marry. And if you like it, you need to put a ring on it. And, and I'm just, I'm just, guys, and, and, and ladies, you need to hear this. Any man worth his salt will respect that. Amen. If he leaves you because you won't sleep with him, say peace out, nice knowing you, and move on. This is key. And ladies, if you can't 
trust that he will. Oh, listen to this. This so, is so good. So if, if he's willing to have sex with you while you're dating, then how do you live life knowing that he's going to honor your marriage vows and not have sex outside the bound of marriage? Notice the same thing. So if he's willing to engage in sex outside of marriage before you get married, well, what about the rest of your life? If he doesn't have self-control to maintain himself during your short dating time, I mean, it's a compared to a lifetime of marriage, your time of dating is pretty short. So and if good. you cannot practice that self-control in that, how are you going to expect him to practice it the rest of your life? So he is not the man for you. And I need to state this for the record. This goes the other way too. My wife and I have been blown away in our culture how now with our young kids, the girls are becoming the aggressive ones. Some of you have noticed this. They're becoming the aggressive ones that are coming on to the boys in a big kind of way. And we should raise godly men who can look at a young lady and say, if that's what you want, forget about it. I'm saving my virginity for my spouse. Huge. I'm glad y'all were so excited about that. <laughs> What about online dating? Number six, what about online dating? Is it okay or do you have any advice for dating and finding other Christian singles? Online dating. I remember when that first hit me 10 years ago, somebody asked me, I thought, that's weird. Online dating? But now I should, I just, I've, I've come full circle on it. Go for it. Yeah, we've got some really good friends who that's how they have met. Um, the biggest thing I think is just to use caution and wisdom. Um, I think it's great to use the sites that are out there to meet somebody, but you shouldn't actually date online, if you know what I mean. In other words, it's great to find somebody, but then you've got to make sure that you go through the dating process and really use wisdom and just be safe. Um, there's just, you know, with the cyber world today, just people can pretend to be somebody that they're not online. And so I think you just need to do your homework more to make sure that that person, because um, we all look so great on social media. I mean, we all just look so wonderful, and you put your, your good stuff. But So just make sure you do your homework. But I think there's nothing wrong with leveraging technology to find someone as yeah. a potential spouse. Brad Paisley, for those of you who are good country music fans, the more godly group here. Um, Br- <laughs> Brad, Brad Paisley's got a great country song about we all look good online. And we do. Listen, ladies, he can be a 50-year-old loser living in the basement of his parents' house eating Doritos but look wonderful online. And you just need to be careful and, again, vice versa. But it, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. In Christian sites, you can meet Christian men and women. You, you also got to be careful there. But I keep saying this. I believe the church is the greatest place to meet godly people. Like some people say to me sometimes, I don't think single people should come to church looking for their spouse. What are you smoking? Is there a better place to do it? Like, so, single people, raise your hand. I always do this. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Single people, raise it up high. Raise it up high. Be proud. Now, look around. Stop looking at me. <laughs> look around. Look around. You might need to meet them in the cafe at one of our campuses and kind of make it happen. Um, where was I? Uh, yeah, right here, number, number seven. When should I accept that God's plan for me does not include a husband and children? This is from a woman in early 40s. I felt, I felt the pain in this. I felt the, the, the um, weight of this question. When should I accept that God's plan for me does not include a husband and children? You want to go? Yeah, I think, um, 
I think we don't know. In other words, I don't think there's a time, okay, once you hit 42, you give up all hope. I mean, God's plan is so amazing and awe-inspiring that we just don't know. So you may be at a point where, you know, maybe you are going to spend the rest of your life um, in not in a marriage relationship. But at the same time, who knows? I mean, we know people that have gotten married in their 50s or their 60s or 70s for the first time. And so I think the secret to that is whether you are, you know, a teenager looking for a boyfriend or if you're you know, in your young 20s or 30s or older, wherever you are, it's finding peace and contentment in yourself mm. as a, either a man of God or as a woman of God. In other words, that person, that marriage relationship is not going to fulfill you. Mm. Um, in fact, marriage is really, really, really hard work. And so um, don't feel like you're missing something. I know that some uh, some of the questions that we got said, you know, it's hard for me to sit in church during these series, either parenting series or marriage series. I want to recognize that, that there are times in which maybe you feel alone during a series or different things like that because it doesn't speak to you right off the bat. But that doesn't mean you're less or you're not valued as part of the community of faith. In fact, some of our kids have been so invested in and mentored by people who are single adults because they had more time to pour into uh, our kids and just be at their ball games or things like that. I mean, and so I just think it's really important that we don't, you don't ever feel like you're less because you haven't found that person. Um, or if you had that person and you don't, you know, you're divorced and you don't have that person now, but it's mm. just finding that peace and that commitment. And I think there's some great scriptures that really speak to that. Yeah. yeah. I think of Psalm 37, four, where the Bible says, God will give you the desires of your heart. So listen to your heart. If you feel called to be married, and you know that's a part of who you are, like Amy Lynn said. Don't give up. Don't put a timetable on God. But it's interesting, later in Philippians 4, somewhere around verse 19, Paul would quote that same verse from Psalm 37, but he would say, May God give you the desires of your heart according to your riches in Christ. And so just keep that in front of you. Practice contentment. It's interesting, in the same chapter, Philippians 4, Paul talks about, I've learned to be content in all situations. So practice that contentment. And um, But I feel the weight of that. But don't, man, if you're in your 40s, you're... You're halfway through life. The second half can be better than the first. Amen? Um, and guys, if this is something you struggle with, can I highly recommend a book by Bob Buford called Halftime? Fantastic book about people that are going through midlife and how to get optimistic and get on the good side of what the second half of your life can be. Number eight, what are some helpful ways to encourage your spouse to do daily devotions? Daily devotions. Um, I'll take this one real quickly just for sake of time. Just communicate. Just talk about it. Just encourage it. I'm about to say something that might um, disappoint you. I'm going to say something that's being very transparent and vulnerable, but I feel that's who we are. What you see is what you get. We're not the best at this as a family. We're not the best at family devotions. But remember the twofold focus. And one of the things I've realized as Amy Lynn and I've raised a family, we're not normal like, I know that you don't have a twofold focus, you know, God and uh, family. You've got a lot of other things. But, but with that twofold focus, God, church, and family, I, I would like to think, and I don't think this is an excuse, but it might be, I would like to think that our whole life is a devotional. We, we, we pray to, as a family, but we probably don't pray as much as you think we do. We do devotions like we're doing one right now, an Advent devotion. There's a big calendar in our kitchen where you pull the, and you pull out the scripture verses and you read it as a family. And you know what really has my kids most excited about it? Not the verses of scripture. There's candy in each little pocket. 
You do what you got to do. But, like, we go through seasons. If you think every morning we hold hands and get down on our knees in the kitchen and seek the heart of God, and we're just like you. We're just trying to do life. We're trying to make it. But I, I think the whole devotional thing, if you're not careful, can become a legalistic routine that is shallow and void of the presence of God. And I think more than anything, if you get a family and a marriage that's dialed into Christ and becoming fully devoted followers, and God is just a part of everything you do, the breath you breathe, the life you live. He's in every conversation. He, he's in every decision. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. And it's all, Jesus is the hub of your life and not just the spoke of your life. I, I believe life takes on this is what Paul meant when Paul said pray without ceasing. I believe prayer takes on a whole new meaning. Conversation with God goes on and on and on. It's not just a little segmented, 20-minute little devotion. Um, so we believe in devotions and we do them. But we probably don't do them as much as you think we do or you think we should. And pray, we pray, but we probably don't do it as much as you think we should. They're probably thinking, wow. (laughs) We're so unholy. Um, No, I'm going to do a little (laughs) plug real quick, too, for those of you that um, are married and have children. Um, Again, there's um, our amazing Hopetown Children's Ministry has this new um, app. It's called Parent Q. Um, and it kind of it takes that verse in Deuteronomy and and really makes that practical. It talks about um, us teaching the law um, to our children and to our families when we drive, when we eat, all those different times. And so this new app has little applications so that if you're in the car, there's a little video that the kids can watch. And so that that just goes and expands to the whole. You know, you've got to figure out what fits into your life. You don't have to have 20 minutes together sitting at the kitchen table. Although some people do, and I wish that we did sometimes, but mm-hmm. that just that's just not our life yeah. right now. So we're getting yeah. everybody out the door and, and going. Yeah. And we're not pleased with, you know, we, we always feel like we can do better. We're just like you. We're just stri- t- just striving to get better at these things. Hey, I'm going to move around a little bit here so that we can, uh, just for the sake of time, I want to go to question number 11. Have you ever had the occasion when you had a tough decision to make as a couple, so you both prayed about it, but you felt God had provided you with two different answers? This is a good question. I want to do it because there's a theological point that I want to make. You prayed about it, but you felt God gave you two different answers. If so, how did you handle that? Parenthetically, they said, say this. I mean, in your heart, you each individually believed that God had spoken, and they're different. Hmm. That's an interesting question, isn't it? And I believe it forces us to ask a big theological question. Does God do that? What I mean by that is this. I believe it's very easy in our culture to play the God card. Well, God, God told me to leave you. Hello. Or God told me that we should do this, but God told the other person that we should do this, and they're diametrically opposed. How does that happen, church? Think theologically with me for a moment. God is a God of order. God is not going... It's kind of like the pastor who was in leading church in a service one day, and one woman stood up and she goes, Pastor, the Lord has led me to sing a solo. He had heard her sing before. And he said, the Lord is leading me to tell you to sit down and hush your mouth. <laughs> Which one's right? So, 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 so my point is, God, 
it's so easy to throw the God card up. So many people quit on things because they say God has led me to quit or God has led me to do this. God, if God's in the heart of a couple, God's not going to lead them in two diametrically opposing ways. So this comes back to what I talked about three weeks ago when I talked about headship. And if you reach that point, somebody's got to be the head of the family. And the Bible, I know you don't like this, ladies, but the Bible speaks of the man being the head of the household. But again, I don't think God's necessarily doing diametrically opposed things. The man, sometimes when Amy Lynn and I reach an uh, an impasse and we're just butting heads over something, she is the best at just saying, you know what? The Bible says you're to be the head. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to trust that God has spoken to you. I've got to be seeking God. But as I said that week, listen, men, we need to be the head. Now, some of you women, you really liked it that day when I said, yeah, but you women can be the neck. <laughs> and the neck can move that head wherever she wants. And a smart woman knows how to work it, if you know what I mean. Okay? But, but I'm just telling you, that, that question forces a big, big theological issue. I know that raises a lot of questions. Hey, uh, we got to move on though. Hey, do men, the next question, do men not like honest, independent women? Well, um, weak, pathetic men don't like honest, independent women and vice versa. So if you're a strong-willed, intelligent independent woman and you got a guy who doesn't like that and tries to shut that down you know hey you you probably need to find somebody of equal caliber it's like preachers they don't preachers don't want to bring on great preachers on the stage they want to bring they want to bring on great teachers and i've always thought that's the most idiotic thing on the planet when i bring on a teacher i want the very best teacher i can bring on this stage because you deserve the best amen so you just got to be i don't it's it's kind of hard yeah i come from a long line of uh Strong, honest, independent women. Um, and yes, so you my, do. <laughs> so I love this question. Love your mother-in-law. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Um, so my grandmother was a single mom of four <clears throat> pretty much her entire life. And then my mom is a very strong uh, woman. And so um, I can definitely relate. Um, so I guess I would say with this, I totally agree with your answer. But I would give a caution to those of us that are uh, independent and can be very strong. I think it's very important within the marriage dynamics that you do recognize that about yourself and that you allow space in a relationship um, to be honored and esteemed by your husband or by the man in your life um, because sometimes we can shut that down. And it takes away, I think, an important part of the marriage dynamics. And so um, I think this particular question came from maybe a series of relationships that um, the man felt threatened and so while I think you should not be in a relationship with someone that feels threatened by that, at the same time, I think you should take time to check yourself and make sure that you are not trying to be the head in the relationship and not trying to fulfill that part of the relationship because God did create us in that way. And um, you can still be strong and still be independent um, and not necessarily try to be the head of the household or the head of the relationship. Yeah. Very good. 13. Question number 13. What if your spouse won't come to church? What if your husband won't be the spiritual head of the house? What if your spouse won't work or look for a job? Oh, y'all like that one. 
Other thing I said, again, I want to speak to the single people for a moment. This is why dating is so important. Figure out this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked together. You want to figure this out before you get married. Is this person in love with Jesus? Not does this person go to church. Does this person love Jesus? Does this person surrender to the lordship of Jesus? Is this person a worker? Is this person a go-getter? I mean, guys, you know, don't you? You know when you're around someone who is not going to amount to much in life. Okay? So you, you want, wherever, wherever you are, you want to find that, that winning person. To, to the married people that are in the house that, that didn't do that, um, Man, that, that's, that's a hard one, and, and I, I hear this question all the time. Just live out your faith. Pray for your unbelieving spouse. The Bible says that unbelieving spouses can be won over by believing spouses. Live it out. Be discerning. Don't be that husband or that wife that just constantly nags the unbeliever. Just become Christ to them. And just live it out. And I've seen this happen before. I've seen people come to faith. And I think most important is just talk about it. I mean, find out what's going on. What are the reasons behind? Can, is there something that you can do to encourage your husband to take those steps? I just, I just think we don't communicate a lot of times. And we just start getting on our soapbox. Or we just start throwing out insults. Or we just start nagging or this or that. And it just escalates instead of just... You know, go to dinner and say, hey, can I ask you a question? Tell me about this. Why are you doing this? What can I do to help you? Instead of just constantly belittling and just making the problem even worse. And so I think it's so important. Just communicate about it. Um, And then, again, pray about it. And find, if you're in a certain spot, find other believers, um, either Christian women or Christian men, depending on where you are, who are maybe in the same journey that you can encourage each other um, and just hold each other in prayer as you go along and journey on that path together. 15, when God says no, what does one do when there is a desire to be married and have children, but the opportunity simply does not come? I feel the weight of this one too. What does it mean to be a single individual who does not choose or desire singleness and having to manage the challenge of exercising purity for a lifetime? Join a monastery. Now, um, easier said than done, right? What would you say? Again, I think this kind of, we talked about this just a little bit before, but I think being content and realizing that it's not something wrong with you, mm. um, but instead realizing that's just how God has designed your path right now. And then again, making sure that you put in boundaries of accountability um, for yourself to exercise that purity. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're who you're spending your time with one-on-one, things like that. I think just just as we tell a teenager, you know, a lot of times we give teenagers guidelines on how to navigate those teenage years with purity. And so leave those same things in place where you have amazing, yeah. wonderful friendships and relationships, but you're, but you're setting boundaries for yourself. Mm. 16 is good. What boundaries do you and Pastor Benji have to safeguard your marriage? What boundaries do you keep to guard your heart and keep the enemy from gaining a foothold? What a great question. Yeah, this is somewhere where I um, I just feel amazingly blessed to have a husband who has taken initiative with this, not only 
um, in our personal relationship, but um, as our staff and as a pastor, um, because I knew that um, we've all seen so many instances of um, people falling for moral failures for this reason. Um, and so I know you have crafted an amazing um, covenant to purity and that we have cascaded that down through the staff. Um, it's simple common sense things about, you know, like neither of us ride alone in a car with a person of the opposite sex. Um, not that anything's necessarily going to happen, but it just creates that intimacy. Um, same thing, you know, I don't, I don't go out to dinners with a man. Um, the only man that you'll, I'll be with individually is going to be my husband. It's creating those boundaries in your life. Um, and so much of it, um, I think, also is a checking of your heart. In other words, if you, if something happens and you are so excited as a woman to tell somebody about it and it's not your spouse that you are thinking about talking to or sharing that joy with or sharing that struggle with, then that's a quick check. Mm. Um, there's so many boundaries in the business place that you have to do. I know some of you travel on business. Um, you have to be very, very careful and very, very aware as you travel. I mean, I have the opportunity occasionally to travel um, without without him to um, internationally and just making sure that those boundaries are set, that there's a woman you're traveling with, or we usually bring one of our kids um, if we're traveling without each other. And there's so many great things. I mean, is there anything else from your commitment that you wanted to talk to? I think I'll just post on my blog tomorrow my pastoral promise to purity. I'll put that on my blog, BenjiKelly.com. Some of you have seen that before. Amy Lynn's crafted something similar. Your pastors and staff have crafted that as well. Because this is a, this is a hard one. Um, let's go to the next question, number 18. Does Amy Lynn, I love this one. Does Amy Lynn ever question from a biblical standpoint any message content? And does she review message content prior to Sunday service? And that's an easy one because I write the messages. <laughs> now you Just know the kidding. secret. Now you know. That's Just funny. Kidding. That was no. good. That was good. That was good. No, no, I do not review message content prior to Sunday. Of course, I see the same thing that other staff see, the general worship order and know the topic and creative meetings, things like that. But no, I don't. Um, and again, I count it as a tremendous blessing that um, my husband is also my pastor um, and someone that he's my favorite teacher and someone that I get challenged with on those challenging days. I get encouraged on those encouraging days. But seriously, that's why I don't like it when other people <laughs> teach on the stage. You should have said that right there. <laughs> Sorry. But no, but seriously, um, I don't... Um, I don't review the message content because I love, because he is my pastor, I love to be able to receive it in the midst of a worship service that's so carefully crafted. I mean, we have an amazing, amazing team that just crafts an entire worship experience, um, and so I'm blessed to be able to receive that alongside you all. Um, and I, I can't ever think of a time that I've ever disagreed from a biblical standpoint on message content. Uh, we have a very solid, biblically-based, theologically sound teaching that comes to us each week. And of course, there may be a conversation afterwards about yeah. you know something that relates to the message, yeah. but I've never disagreed um, from a theological standpoint. On the and, and again, I think we figured that out when we were dating, didn't we? Yeah. We well, were at the same school, yeah. and just, uh, again, the, the, the dating <laughs> part is so so important. Okay, let, let's, 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 let's take it to a whole other level. And some of you got into some really difficult questions regarding sex. Um, if you aren't in the mood for sex... And know it has been a while since being intimate. Should you both still try to make it happen? 
peck to the yes. Um, so I was just, it was my birthday the other week, and somebody showed me this birthday card. I, I scanned it for you. Here's a birthday card. He says, he says, okay, you, she says, okay, you can have another spin, but only because it's your birthday. <laughs> and look at him in his little white skibbies. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, Lord, 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 Lord. You know, it's up to you too. You got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. Um, but may, maybe you conclude, you know what? We're, we're, we're not. We're, we shouldn't or we're not going to. But that, that usually doesn't happen. Usually there's somebody who should. And I mentioned this passage the other week in 1 Corinthians 7 where the Bible talks about not, not neglecting one another of, of sexual passions unless you're in a season of prayer. Remember I said there's no need to say you got a headache. Just say, hey, I, I'm praying tonight. Make it a spiritual thing, honey, I'm praying tonight. But some of you might decide, no, you know, but, but I, I got to say this. And, and I just, I, some of you, what you need more than anything is to start having more sex. Did, did he just say that in church? Yeah. Yes. Because God made sex and sex is good. And what some of your marriages, marriage, what some of your marriages need more than anything is some good sex. Let's just, can I just unpack why good sex is good? There's an aerobic exercise component to it. Hello. Some of you, some of you need a little exercise. I do. Sex creates intimacy. It creates intimacy. The two shall become one. Good sex brings about physical touch and some of you don't touch each other anymore. Good sex keeps joining the two of you as one. I will stop, but I've got more reasons why I would build the case. I think one thing, too, is we cannot forget, and not always, but a lot of times it's the women who will ask this question. Um, and if we are truly expecting our husband or our spouse, either way, to honor the marriage vows, um, we are the only person that that they're able to have intimate relations with. And so you're creating an unrealistic expectation if you're over the long time if you're not allowing that intimacy to happen. And so it just, I think, you just create more and more problems. I mean, it just creates an attention in the relationship. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's something that um, within the context of an amazing marriage is just, again, it just steps toward intimacy and such an important part of a healthy marriage. Okay. Let's go to this next one. It's about sex too. I don't know how I don't know how I'm gonna answer this one. Can you have any kind of sexual pleasure with your spouse? Or are there some things off limits? I mean, are there certain sexual acts a married couple should not do together? I did not have <laughs> sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> Nor did I inhale. <sighs> sorry, sorry. Um, I think I ought to let Amy Lynn answer this one. 
I'll, I'll um, touch on one thing. Yeah, go for it. Um, and I think it can be summed up in the statement, do not ever bring anyone else into your bedroom or into mm. your bed, whether mm. that's through video or people. I just think that, it, it again, pornography, um, I just don't think we can underestimate the damage that that can do, and that includes viewing it together as a couple. I just think that brings someone else into your life that should not be there. Mm. It was designed to be an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And anytime you compromise that, you bring insecurities, you just, it, it's just not something that I believe should be practiced in any way, shape, or form um, within the confines of a Christian marriage. Yeah. yeah, there's a popular trend, hopefully not in the church, but, you know, hey, we're going to spice up our relationship, you know, by watching this or bringing other people in. And um, that, that would not be of God. That would not be the way God has designed uh, sexual intimacy between a man or a woman. I think just kind of to kind of get to the, the heart of this question, though, I think, I think each couple's got to talk about it and communicate and figure out um, what each person is comfortable with. And I think, you, I think you can talk about that, and I think that's what you should do. Um, but the marriage bed, I love how you put it, and Hebrews talks about this. The marriage bed should be kept pure. And um, I just think each couple has to kind of figure figure that out. And and I will say this, and then i got to move on, and I know this is kind of tricky trying to get into the subject right now. I just think there's a lot of things also that, that people do. Um, and again, I think this is something that's growing in our culture. Um, I, think, I think you need to remember that God is creator. And God created our bodies to function a certain way. And I am saying what you're wondering whether I'm saying. There is a human anatomy that needs to stay functioning in a God-honoring way. And when in our culture we start blessing things that are against how the Creator God has designed us to enjoy sexual intimacy... We have crossed over into insulting the God who created our bodies to function and work in a certain way. Are you, are you, are you picking up what I'm laying down? And I'm sure some would disagree with me, but I believe what I'm saying is of God. Uh, oh, man. Uh, 23. How should we handle telling one another about needing some time to be alone? <laughs> How should we handle telling one another about needing some time to be alone? I can promise you this was some spouse asked this question, and they are married to a person who never stops talking. Um, speak to that real quickly, Amy. Yeah, I mean, I think we are a great example of that. Like I said, we're about as opposite as opposite can be. And so, um, total extrovert, uh, introvert who's learned how to be extrovert in a ministry context. Um, and so, extrovert who actually, the older I get, the more I start becoming a little more introvert. You know, by the way, you're not necessarily set for life in the way you are. So there is some tendencies that tend to shift a little bit. Yeah, but I think you have to figure that and build that into your rhythm. And again, talk about it. Say, hey. I love you. I just really would like to go read a book right now or yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. And, and I've learned to respect that about yeah. you. And sometimes, like, we're getting ready. To, I'll say, come on. They, they invited us. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Party! And she's like, I'm going to let you go tonight. And I've, I've become okay with that. Yeah. 
yeah, so figuring that out. But yeah, you just have to talk about it and be comfortable with that and recognize. And also, you need to go to school on your spouse and realize when they're at that point in which they, and sometimes there's times that I do go because I know it's important to him and he wants me at something. Um, there's other times in which I'll just say, I really need this stuff to know myself. But you've got to figure out that, that give and take and um, make sure that you're on the journey together, but yeah. recognize that. 25, when you and Amy Lynn first dating, did you pay for everything related to the relationship or was it more of a 50-50 split? That's a good question. And maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I paid for everything. And um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, I would just say this, women, you need to hear this. If you're hooked up with a guy who likes to pay for everything, it still blesses his socks every now and then. If you plan something... And you like you you pay for it in advance, or you treat him something like that. And Amy Lynn would do that, and it boy, we men really like that every now and then. Amen, men. So there's nothing wrong with that too. But there, you know, I might be old school on this one, and you might have figured out another way to work that with women having good earning income and all that. But you asked about what we did, and that's what I did. And that bridges us into a question that, and we got from multiple people about um, why do we need to commingle our money? And what's wrong with keeping separate bank accounts? Um, and I know that in today where some people intermarriage thinking half of them are going to fail. And so it's almost like a pre-planning for a divorce. It's almost like that prenuptial, like, you know, I'm going to keep mine over here as a safety net so that if we don't make it, you have your money and I have my money. Um, and I think it just, I don't think it's the most healthy thing. In other words, if you are going to be entering into marriage, um, You've got to do things together. And if you have things in your life that are yours and mine, um, it just creates areas for tension. Um, ideally, you guys have a, it, it causes you to sit down and talk about it. So yeah. In other words, because whether you're both earning or if one's earning and one is at home or whatever those dynamics are, um, I just think it's really, really important to um, truly become one um, and do it together. Genesis 2.24. They should leave their mother and father and be united as one. The, the Hebrew word is hesed. The two shall become one. And if we really become one physically, talked about that, right, sexually, we truly become one emotionally, we truly become one hopefully spiritually, Why would our, our thought is why would you not become one financially? But we realize some people do it different than that. Um, hey, oh, here's a good one. What, did you two dis, what do you two disagree about the most? What do you two disagree about the most that's easy <laughs> this is an easy one it, it's the all time never ending tension in our marriage so really from day one um, I am much more of a um, <laughs> relaxed creative um, and that oozes over into my environment um, in other words uh, everything it may be in this place but it may be in this place um, and so it depends on the day. <laughs> I don't know why you do that. <laughs> Whereas for my dear husband, everything has a place, and it should be there at all point in time. Everything has a place. <laughs> Which I have come to terms with. And there's a place for with. everything. <laughs> and our God is a God of order, but sometimes I'm not feeling so godly. So that is our <laughs> constant debate from day one. So very, very, very neat, much more messy, creative spirit here. <laughs> wow, you said that so beautifully. <laughs> hey, uh, once you were married, what was the one thing that surprised you most about your spouse? Once, once you were married, what was the one thing that surprised you most about your spouse? For me, it would be her 
messiness. <laughs> As she just said, her, how'd you do that? That was beautiful, however you did that. Uh, it would be her messiness. It, 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 really, it really rocked me. I am a, I am a neat freak. I, you go in my closet, dude. And, and shoes, and I, you go into my garage, like men, you garage. Go into my garage, dude. Everything's in order, and uh, so that's what surprised me most about you. And I still love you to death. <laughs> I think mine's a little bit more um, somber, I guess, mm. if you will. Um, we went the first again, probably about nine or ten years, I and mean, then which he did not disclose to me. Um, kind of the family baggage that he had. In other words, um, I, I wasn't aware of just the tremendously unhealthy dynamics in his family. I, I knew, shared my testimony with you the right. first time we went on a date, my drug addiction and all my incarcerations, but I didn't share Yeah, that and stuff. I knew his parents were divorced, but there wasn't as far as some of the very, very kind of almost abu- just abusive things that had happened to him growing up. And so I was not adequately equipped to understand um, his responses to certain things or um, just the dynamics that that brought into the, the, the tough times in marriage because um, we all are so shaped by our upbringing. Um, and so I think... Um, just that was a turning point. We were actually watching a movie, um, Antoine Fisher. I don't know if you're familiar with that. If not, you haven't seen the story out. of Antoine Fisher. For the love of God, go watch this movie. I mean, it's um, number one. Denzel Washington is the best actor on the planet, <laughs> bar none. But that movie. So we were sitting there watching it in our living room, and he and he never cried at movies before that, and he was just weeping and weeping. And I was like, I know this movie's good, but it's not like that good. <laughs> Um, and it just wrecked him. I mean, he literally for the rest of the night was just sobbing. And so it, we began, you know, processing that, like, what, what is this? And just how that was, some of those elements in that were really part of his growing up. And so um, I think just the um, consequences of um, bringing some of that unresolved past into our marriage. Um, and so in just an encouragement to all of us, we all have so many um, unresolved things and so much baggage just from being human. And so just figuring out how to talk about that ahead of time, I think, would yeah. be better to navigate those early years of marriage as you are trying to figure out how to live together. Last question. Got to do it because it's just so important because we're up here talking about marriage and trying to stay true and faithful to the end. But the Bible is full of the wisdom of God. And here was this question. What if your spouse is addicted to porn and continually looking at online hookup sites or your spouse is unfaithful? How can you maintain respect and love and recover? How to forgive and forget infidelity? Number one, you need to stop fooling yourself. You'll never forget. But number two, I just want to point this out, that though we stand for marriages that go the distance, and though we believe in tenacity and grit and determination, let us be clear, there are times when divorce is acceptable. It's what scholars call the Matthean Exception Clause. The Matthean Exception Clause. They call it that because it comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus says this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, and here's the Exception Clause, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Some translations, and by the way, I like this translation better, some translations say, except for marital unfaithfulness. So what I need to be really, really clear about 
is, and I see a trend happening now, and I really like it, that sometimes when there's an affair or something goes on, I, I'm starting to see true reconciliation, true repentance, true confi- contrition. Because, guys, for forgiveness to happen, listen, there's no such thing as cheap grace. For forgiveness to happen, there has to be a broken heart, Psalm 51, where David is weeping. There has to be contrition. There has to be authentic repentance where a person turns from that sin and goes in a different direction and then and only then can true forgiveness and reconciliation happens and that's all good what do you do if you're married with a spouse who keeps cheating on you what do you do if you're married with a spouse and they keep beating you that's marital unfaithfulness what do you do with a spouse that they just keep on doing it and they say well we're Christians you're supposed to forgive me heck to the no forgiveness comes when there's authentic, honest confession and repentance. Same is true with our relationship with God, by the way. You just can't keep sinning and doing something saying, oh, God just forgives me. Oh, no, God doesn't just forgive you. God forgives you when you confess and repent of your sin. This is a, boy, this is becoming popular in our kind of watered down, lukewarm Christianity. No, 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 no. So um, if you're here and you're married to somebody who you've tried, I mean, you've truly tried over and over and over, and they keep beating you, or they keep cheating on you, and they're not willing to get help, and they're not willing to get in counseling, they're not, they're not willing to work this thing out and change. Jesus says there are times when the best thing you can do in that situation is exit stage left. And it's hard for me to say, because I believe in the marriage vow, the covenant, the commitment, um, but Jesus spoke about this in Matthew's gospel. In contrast that to that, we have seen amazing testimony of God moving when there was Big maybe time. an affair and there was true repentance and, you know, really grieved the parties. And just to those of you whose spouse, um, if you were unfaithful to your spouse and you're in the process of seeking reconciliation, um, see that as a gift. See that that they have not chosen to just quit. See that as an opportunity to begin to restore and renew and realize what a precious gift that is. Yeah. Um, do not tread lightly on that. And you are going to have to work so hard. You're going to have to be so intentional about mm. putting those boundaries in and expecting them to assume the worst. Um, and so you can't just say, well, you know, I'm not doing it again. I told you I wasn't going to do it again. Well, it takes so much more than that. And so... The, the best thing is never go there. Uh, why, you know, the best thing is not to break that trust. That is your ultimate goal. But if it does get broken, then don't give up hope and work so hard and so diligently to restore those bonds of trust. Because, again, we've got amazing stories of reconciliation, a restoration of just God moving in powerful, powerful ways. Yeah. That doesn't happen in days Mm-mm. and weeks. That happens over years. So we have one of the most powerful songs and videos I believe our team has ever put together. Some of you know the song Mirrors. And you're sitting here and maybe your marriage is at a mountaintop high as a result of this series. Maybe your marriage is not. Maybe, you, maybe you're struggling and you feel like you're just broken and there's shattered pieces around in your life. Sit back. Don't pull. You don't want to leave. Sit back and watch what our team does at all of our campuses and uh, we'll wrap this day up. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for my wife. God, I just honor her today. I just 
As a church, God, I know we're just so grateful for Amy Lynn being with us today. God, I thank you for our marriage, and I thank you for our church, God. The marriages that are represented in this church, the the places where you've built beautiful bonds and you've had transformation and healing take place. God, life is hard. Marriage is hard. And God, I thank you that when we look at the gospel, you were not immune from that, Jesus. You went through the hardest of times. So may your power and your Holy Spirit continue to fall on this place today as we sit back and reflect and seek your heart and your presence in our lives today. We love you, Lord Jesus. We bless you. We thank you for our marriages, for our future marriages, for the divorces, God. If there's somebody here who their marriage is just destroying them. God, be a big God in all of these situations. We lay our lives before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopenc.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org. And our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.